0: Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Tuesday the 7th of June. Beautiful, bright, sunny morning here in TW11 to announce not only that this is the 500th edition of this daily podcast since we started in July of 2020, but also that we're just a week away from Royal Ascot and hopefully... This fine weather is a portent for things to come because next week we've got a glorious stage on which to set some superb international competition. And because the gap between Epsom, which we'll be reflecting on later, and Ascot is so short this year, we're trying to cram a court into a pint pot and work out who's coming, where they're coming from, Who's likeliest to win? And to that end, later in the program, we'll be talking to trainer Rafe Beckett, fresh from his Derby second, with key contenders in the Coronation Stakes and the Gold Cup next week. To Graham Motion, American-based Kentucky Derby-winning trainer, who this year saddles Spenderella, the undefeated filly, in a bid to win the Coronation Stakes. Matt Bernier, NBC analyst, will be talking not only about the US Challenge for the race which includes irad ortiz booked as the rider for all wesley ward horses but also who's going to win the final leg of the american triple crown the belmont stakes this weekend and in just a few moments time i'll be discussing the key australian sprinters nature strip home affairs artorias with channel sevens jason richardson who also brings us the news that star aussie jockey jamie carr is already on the plane and she is on her way to Royal Ascot, and she could yet have one of the highest profile rides of the week. She may not ride at all. That's to come in just a moment, but I've been talking to Chris Richardson, the Managing Director of Cheveley Park Stud, the owners of the Frankel-Philly Inspiral, last year's champion European Juvenile. She's not been seen out so far at three, having missed all the guineas, and he has told me that It's all systems go for Royal Ascot on the proviso that she passes one final test, comes through one final important piece of work this week. That could take place as early as tomorrow, but if she does, and he sees no reason why it shouldn't, then she will be headed to the coronation stakes as well. So let's digest that news first of all. uh, Jane Mangan, RTE and Racing TV broadcaster, and ask ourselves... Just how good has Espiral got to be on her comeback to beat the likely field assembled against her?
1: Well, this race uh, potentially is one of the races of the meeting, and we're talking about international competition. You have France, Britain, Ireland, America, all represented with proper horses. Uh, Inspiral is going to have to come back and be on her absolute A game if she's going to land the blow here, because you mentioned the two American Phillies, Pizza Bianca and Spenderella, for motion mongostine. I took the scalp of Caché in France, but Caché will be back for more and homeless songs. Uh, Also impressive at the corral. I throw in the fact that Jessica Harrington skipped the corral for discoveries after she disappointed at Newmarket to go straight there um, to try and win the coronation for a third time with the same broodmare, project the same broodmare, which is a unique achievement in itself. Um, Prosperous Voyage didn't make it to France last time. Maybe she'll be fresh going there as well. So... I think Inspiral is going to have to be exceptional if she's to retain her unbeaten record.
0: Well, we'll be hearing a little bit more about the American Phillies, Pizza Bianca and Spenderella a bit later in the programme and Prosperous Voyage from Rafe Beckett. But Jane, I wanted to drill down with you into this Homeless Songs point, and it's a point that James Willoughby raised on the podcast last week. She was brilliant at the Curra, no doubting it. And yes, horses in behind her have come out and, and won and run well in classics, albeit over further. Do you believe that that's just the beginning for her and that she can now replicate that sort of performance on a routine basis? Or do you worry that that rather stands out amongst the remainder of her career efforts? What, what's your view?
1: No, I think there's always been an air of confidence around her. She won her, her debut last year in July, she beat a Gartha. Gartha's a very solid yardstick. She quickened up from nearly last and she showed a turn of foot that we saw again at the Curra. She's got so much speed this Philly. Um... And I, I just think she could be a star. I think she could be the next big, modular Dermot wild horse that, that we, you know, love to see from those quarters. So I don't want to get carried away yet. I need, I, I, I need to see her do it on, on the biggest of stages. I was blown away with her at the curra uh, The form has been, frankly, lovely since. Um, and I, I think she's, she's special.
0: Is it an issue if the ground gets very quick? given how, how they played the early part of the season very conservatively.
1: Yeah, the, they skipped Newmarket and France because of very quick round. Um, they said they jarred the mother on quick ground and they didn't want to make the same mistake twice. Uh, so yeah, that would have to be a concern, but I hope it doesn't prevent her from taking part. I hope the round is fair for everyone.
0: So what a race next Friday's Coronation Cup is shaping up to be. But bookending the week, the big sprint race is the King Stand, the Platinum Jubilee. They could well be the Preserve of the Australians and to that end and particularly given it was our 500th edition he's been such a help to us I wanted to enlist uh, the services of channel 7 and racing.com's Jason Richardson now in a few moments time you'll hear Richo drop an excellent bit of news that could see one of the most celebrated riders anywhere in the world arriving at Royal Ascot for the first time but I began by simply asking him these sprinters look good nature strip home affairs Artorias are they going to win?
2: It's a great question. Nick, congratulations on 500 episodes. Who said it wouldn't last? You're a remarkable <laughs> man for being able to put all these uh, podcasts uh, together. And I know everyone in Australia who listens in uh, takes uh, a lot of interest. You're keeping the racing world nice and small for us to dissect. But it's a great question you ask. It's interesting that you and – and I think this might be a common theme that – the English say, oh, you're bringing over two of the best sprinters in the world. I reckon we bring in three. I would not disrespect Artorius, who comes over as, as more of a sprinter miler, but what you'll see with him, and he's trained, trained by Anthony and Sam Friedman, Anthony Friedman, the brother of Hall of Famer Lee Friedman, was, was a integral part of all of Lee Friedman's you know, 120 plus group ones in Australia. A key part of all that success and he's gone out on his own and he's got his young son Sam who spent a lot of time with Roger Varian at Newmarket. He knows English racing so well and they've got this... Uh, Precocious colt uh, owned by China Horse Club that you probably won't hear a lot of. You'll you'll hear a lot of uh, of the two big guns if you like in nature strip and home affairs. But don't disrespect Arturias. He he can be more of a miler, but if there's speed on, watch his last four hundred meters. There's no horse that'll run a faster last four hundred than him. I can assure you of that. He will if he's right. He will absolutely fly and I think he'll be in, in any, in, in contention and in anything he competes in, I'm sure he'll go in the platinum jubilee up against home affairs and Nature Strip goes in the king's stand. If Nature Strip arrives and you know, and we all, anyone who's travelled knows how hard it can be on the body and a lot of science goes in for the humans in regards to when's the best time to compete through jet lag, is it? Best to get straight off the plane and race, or wait two weeks and race. Um, There's a lot of data either way. Horses, not so much uh, data that way. But if he settles in, he's continued to eat, um, he produces 90% of his best, they won't see which way he goes. He he will absolutely hose up.
0: What, even even against Golden Powell, the fastest horse in the world? Yeah.
2: Yeah, he'll beat Golden Powell. I'm convinced if he's at his if he produces ninety to ninety five percent of his best, he is an absolute speed machine. He, but
0: the thing about uh, him is he is a quirky <laughs> weird cat. I'm getting I'm getting massive McGrath five nil vibes here. I really am. <laughs>
2: uh, he, he is a very very weird animal. so um I, I think Artorius will beat home Affairs home. there you go. Um, that'll be an upset. I think Home Affairs will probably be 5, five 6 to one, ten in English markets, and Artorius will probably be three or four times that. He shouldn't be. He's a good sprinter as well.
0: Now, Richard, what's this we're hearing about uh, Jamie Carr possibly coming to Ascot? And if she does, has she got anything to ride? Well, ja- Yeah, Jamie Carr's keen to come to Ascot
2: because she is the backup rider for Nature Strip. So here's the scenario. James McDonald is riding Nature Strip on Tuesday in the King's Stand. James McDonald is riding Home Affairs for Cormore in the Platinum Jubilee. Jamie Spencer's booked to ride Artorias in the Platinum Jubilee. So if Nature Strip um, thrashes them down the straight in the King's Stand, then Chris Waller's got a decision to make. He's got a different set of owners. Um, does he back up four days later? this horse in a platinum jubilee and i'd say oh yes he would and if he does jamie carr will be the rider of nature
3: strip
0: wow that's fascinating so she's basically coming over unlikely to get a ride but if it all falls into place she gets one of the best rides of the week 100%
2: hundred percent and then I think she'll go on a holiday so scheduled for a holiday starts at ascot and um, you know notice how I try to pronounce that because uh, I've been getting a lot of slack in Australia because uh, we here in Australia we tend to call it royal Ascot um, and I sort of suggested to them the English don't necessarily refer to it as royal ascot so uh, if uh, she if nature strip runs on the final day of royal Ascot Jamie Carr will be riding the big beast.
0: Immaculate pronunciation, but even better insight. Jason Richardson, thank you very much.
2: <laughs> Congratulations on 500 shows, mate. You're a star.
0: So news there, Jane Mangan, that uh, star Australian rider Jamie Carr is going to come to Royal Ascot. She might not even get a ride, Jane, but if she does get a ride, it'll be an important one. And she'll certainly, uh, she'll certainly attract plenty of attention, such as her profile down under.
1: Yes, and she'll be a star attraction up here as well. So if she's not uh, busy riding in the Platinum Jubilee, she would be busy with fans, no doubt, um, across the the Royal Meeting. But Jamie Carr is a celebrity in the world of horse racing, regardless of whether where she goes. And it would be wonderful to have her in action so that us uh, Europeans could get to see her in action um, in real time.
0: Yeah, that's the intriguing part of the story is that if Nature Strip wins, whether Waller will be able to persuade Coolmore to allow him to run Nature Strip against their own home affairs and try and do a choisir five days or four days later?
1: Yeah, that's uh, an interesting proposition. But again, it's only something that we can hope happens. Um, and all those things have to happen. The Stand is a very difficult race in itself. And there isn't many choisirs in the world. But to have the Australian sprinters up here, it adds a real layer of interest because they are renowned for their pace. They are often put us in our boxes when it comes to the sprinting division. So let's see how good they are. We've seen them at Flemington. Home Affairs and Nature Strip met in the Black Caviar. Flemington, of course, in February, where the three-year-old came out on top marginally. So let's see if we can have the rematch.
0: I mean, is there a possibility, I'm just thinking yeah, of next week, that... There are bets to be had in the King's Stand and the Golden Jubilee. Because if you look at the, the King Stand stakes now, it's five to two Golden Pals, seven to two Nature Strip, and twelves bar, the Aussie and the American, with a case of you, Ada McGuinness's Dubai winner and romantic proposal at twelve. And then if you look at the, the Platinum Jubilee, you've got five to one home affairs, seven Campanelle, eight to one nature strip. Nine to one is the shortest price European trained horse creative force for, for Charlie Appleby. Uh, I, I'm just wondering whether there are bets in these races because, yeah, you know, for all the the foreign horses can win, they can also blow out completely. There's still a massive home court advantage up that hill at Ascot.
1: Yeah, but do we have a batash at the moment? I'm not sure. We do. Um, do do so... we need,
0: do we need to have a batash? Is it not worth taking the chance that? They actually don't turn up and just perform metronomically, as the market suggests they're going to do.
1: That's always that's always a factor to consider. But uh, on bare form, they've just been so consistently brilliant at that. I, I, I think the Australian sprinters are theoretically better than us. Um, so, to be honest, I wouldn't be backing outside of them or indeed uh, Golden Pal in the King's Stand because you know they go from the gates and they burn us alive.
0: Hmm. Well, they they might burn us alive in the sprints. I'd suggest uh, any distance races would be rather more contentious, uh, though American fillies are going in the coronation stakes. One of them is Spenderella, trained by Graham Motion. He's been fourth in the race with Miss Temple City, second with sharing. I asked uh, the Kentucky Derby-winning maestro to fill me in a little bit on this undefeated filly.
4: Yeah, so she, um, she didn't get a start till this year she really hasn't done much wrong nick uh, she's undefeated like you say uh, and i think she's won pretty comfortably but not facing the likes of what she'll face at ascot next week
0: as you say she's she's got here pretty pretty rapidly started off in in the winter in florida at what point in this three race winning sequence did you think hello i could be having a crack at royal ascot or had you thought that before she even ran
4: I mean, I thought about it after she won at Gulfstream, but realized she had to pass the test at Keeneland, which she did very comfortably. Um, I didn't think it made sense. You know, she's had three starts this year. I didn't think if we were going to take a shot at Ascot, I didn't think it made sense to run her again between uh, Keeneland and now. So um, she's had a couple of good works. Hopefully she's freshened up a bit and, and ready to go next week.
0: I mean, it's not really much use saying whether or not she's better or worse than the Phillies you've brought before because you're facing completely different opposition. But what you do have is some context as to what you need to do to run well here. Um, So how do you feel about that in your heart of hearts?
4: I mean, I feel really good about bringing her because I, otherwise I wouldn't do it. I mean, I've taken a couple of chances, like you said, and I really don't want to come back there just for the for the fun of it. Um, I like this Philly a lot. She's done everything very easily. She's very classy. And really kind of untested to this point.
0: And it's, as I said, a pretty decent clutch of US trainers this time. Christophe Clement, Rusty Arnold, who's been once before, uh, Wesley Ward as well. I mean, could you see it growing yet further? Or do you think we sort of reached a a point where we're not going to go much further?
3: No, I think it's going to keep
4: growing. I think there's more interest this year than before. I I don't know numbers-wise if that's exactly correct, but I feel like there is. I think more of us are taking chances. Um, I I think it's going to keep growing. You know, for my filly, I'm not missing anything by coming over. That's part of the problem with bringing other horses over here. It's, It's hard to pass up on some of these big money races over here. But, you know, going a mile in a grade one, I'm really not missing anything over here. She's already won a grade two. So it's a great opportunity for me to take a crack. It's extraordinary to me how we do have so much turf racing now in this country, whereas people are still looking to, um, when people go to buy yearlings, they still want to win the Derby. And it's really people don't go out looking to buy turf horses to say, whereas turf racing is becoming stronger and stronger in the States. Um, But I think you guys show over and over again that we're really a little bit behind you with, with our turf horses. Um, and I think, again, that's part of the challenge of coming over there. I, I really wouldn't feel great about coming over there and running a mile and a quarter, a mile and a half against your horses. But running a three-year-old filly against three-year-olds, going a mile, and, and, and also with what Wesley does, I think I think there's a niche there for us to take a chance.
0: And, of course, if she if she goes and wins, and you're not going to be bringing her here unless you think she's got a chance of winning, um, is there a dilemma about what you do with her then? Or is it just a one-shot deal?
4: No, it's a one-shot deal for me. I mean, you know, I would I would be really getting out of my comfort zone to keep her over there and, and do, you know, something along the lines of what Wesley has done and take her to France and what have you. You know, there's, there's good opportunities for this Philly this summer. Um, I, this is a one deal for me.
0: Graham, who's going to ride
4: her? Uh, William Buick rides her.
0: That's a that's a tremendous booking. I, Sheen Murphy wrote for you before, didn't he? I mean, how crucial do you think it is to have a European jockey in, in a European race?
4: You know, it's a real dilemma for me. Um, I think in this particular circumstance, I mean, Tyler gave her a great ride last time. He's only ridden her once, um, but did absolutely nothing wrong. I just feel like It's so different coming to Ascot, unless you've got somebody that's really experienced um, with the idiosyncrasies of the course. I think you're an advantage if you can get a Frankie or a a William Buick or some of your other top riders. I I just think it gives us a little edge. Obviously, he's done great over here, so we've followed him closely. I don't know William. I've spoken to him. But, uh, you know, I think when he became available, it was a great opportunity for us.
0: All right, that was Graham Motion. Uh, my great friend and colleague at NBC Handicapper, Matt Bernier, is with me now. All right, Matt, Graham's b- keeping his powder dry a little, understandably, but he's not going to bring Phillies here unless he thinks they can win. He's got experience in the race before. This fillies are kind of 12, 14 to one shot Spenderella. Peter Bianca in the same race, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies turf winner is about 16s. How would you compare the two?
5: I think... Talent-wise, they're very comparable. They're very different as far as running styles are concerned, though. And and that would be the thing that might lean a little more towards Spenderella's favor in that she's a, a handy sort. She's one that can be up on, if not pressing the pace, and still have a little bit of a finish. As opposed to a horse like Pizza Bianca, think back to the Breeders' Cup when we saw her kick the way she did. She came from well out of it. She needed a big pace to run at. Spenderella's Spenderella is the kind of filly that even if the pace is on the more swift side, she can sit just off and have some finish. Or if for whatever reason they're dawdling out there on the front end, she can take it to him, go right to the front and say, come and catch me. So I, I think she's a legitimate threat to win a race like this, as is Pizza Bianca.
0: All right. Short stretch at Ascot as well. Might suit Spenderella a little bit better than Pizza Bianca. The big filly needs a bit of time to unwind i think uh, irad ortiz booked for all the wesley ward runners obviously apart from if he has two runners in the same race but all the ones that matter is that a surprise to you given the success that frankie and velasquez have had for him in the past to ask
5: well not necessarily on the john velasquez front keeping in mind that irad has ridden golden pal throughout his career and golden pal is the superstar of all superstars as far as the turf sprinters are concerned and you think about the relationship that ward has had with the tory it is a little intriguing but at the same time i think it's like anything else it happens all the time over in europe it happens all the time here in the united states when you know what you're going to get from a rider and a rider fits certain horses like a glove like ortiz happens to for some of the big mounts in ward's barn i don't know i don't think you want to overthink things i know a typically based here in the states but he is a world-class rider through and through he can adapt to whatever the situation is um, if it fits, you know, or if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's kind of where I'm leaning with this. I think I think this is a good move for Wesley Ward.
0: Where would you have Ortiz, well, Erad Ortiz, in your list of top American jockeys at the moment?
5: I mean, he's right there with Flavian Pratt. I think the way Pratt is riding, the form that he's in, probably gives him a slight edge. But knowing that Erad can win on dirt, on turf, sprinting, routing, on the lead from off the pace, he's really the complete package. And I think that's the thing that makes him so unique. Uh, Especially here in the United States, we have certain riders that their forte is speed. We can get out of the gate, go right to the front. That's all well and good, but how can you handle a little bit of a a murkier pace situation or a horse coming from off of it? Arad can do everything, and I think that's why this move over to the United Kingdom for Royal Ascot, I don't think that's going to be a a major sort of uh, bugaboo for this outfit. I think they're going to have a great deal of success.
0: Okay, um, tell me who's going to win the Belmont Stakes on Saturday, the final leg of the Triple Crown.
5: Well, it's, a, it's an interesting race in that you don't have any superstars, and I don't mean that as disrespect to Rich Strike, but there's no one standout in the race. I didn't anticipate liking this horse coming into it, but I think Barber Road has a big, big chance. He is a horse trained by John Ortiz. Joel Rosario is going to pick up the mount. He's typically one that rallies from off the pace. He came from nearly dead last in the Kentucky Derby to finish a decent fifth. I think he's going to be a lot closer this time around. The blinkers come off, and he does have some races in the past where he's been relatively close to the front end. I don't think he's going to be pushing we the people, but I think he's probably sitting just off, and from a stamina standpoint, I think Barber Road has as good a chance as any of them to get the mile and a half. So a little bit of a price on Barber Road.
0: And what about the Met Mile? Speaker's Corner against Flightline? Oh, yes. Are we going to see Flightline?
5: Well, I guess that's that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? I mean, I, I as, as brilliant as he's been, it's difficult for me to get super excited about a horse that's going to make his fourth lifetime start, but I'll tell you what, every time he's been out on the track in the afternoon, he's been brilliant. He will be facing a legitimate, legitimate racehorse, though, in Speaker's Corner, purely from a fig standpoint, when we talk about speed figures here in the United States. Uh, Speaker's Corner stacks up pretty favorably. We're talking about Flightline. Flightline's got a career best number, I believe, of 118 on the buyer speed figure scale. Uh, Speaker's Corner is in at 114, so it's not as though they're miles apart. Uh, Recency would certainly go to Speaker's Corner. He's also won in New York before, and Flightline's going to have to take his show on the road for the first time. All three of his runs have come in Southern California against Inferior Company. We'll find out if he passes the acid test on Saturday.
0: NBC's Matt Bonier with his thoughts on the Belmont Stakes and the American Challenge for Royal Ascot. Well, Wesley Ward bringing over Irad Ortiz this year, Jane, to, to ride his his runners. I, I, I guess people will say he's only got to point them in a straight line, but it's it's a it's a big stage for him.
1: It is a big stage, and often the biggest part of the Wesley Ward runners is getting them down to post. <laughs> I often wonder, because they are like coil springs, that is a handful in itself, but they obviously have their pony taking him down, and Irad Ortiz to have his his first Royal Ascot rides on such quality must be a dream come true for any jockey. Um, And, you know, you've got Campanelle there who's won the Queen Mary. She's obviously been awarded the Commonwealth Cup. She's going to be uh, many people fancying the Platinum Jubilee. Ruth, and disappointed somewhat last year. I think Love Reigns is really interesting in the Queen Mary. She was a ten-length winner at Keenland, and she looks like an absolute jet. Seismic Spirit runs in the Windsor Castle, and I've already mentioned Golden Palin, the King's Stand. So, Ierdertis—he's he's a household name in the U.S. We've got become accustomed to turning on the Breeders' Cup, the Kentucky Derby, all these big races, and just seeing. Uh, him conquer all those peaks. Let's see if he can do so at this side of the Atlantic.
0: All right. Well, we heard yesterday from Andrew Balding, didn't we, about the fact that he was hoping that a really good Epsom would then lead on to an excellent Asker and he felt his string was just getting going. Uh, Rafe Beckett had a, a great but frustrating time of it Saturday with Westover running such a huge race in the Derby, but not really being able to get a clear run, a clear shot late on. I, he was very gracious in defeat um, and I put it to him a little bit earlier that I'd said on Saturday that he might be a bit less gracious when he'd gone home and watched the tape a couple of times. Uh, this is what he had to say.
3: <laughs> well, uh, Yeah, I'm always reminded in these instances of uh, David Hayes who once told me that uh, when somebody's giving one of his a bad ride and comes in and starts giving an explanation his first answer is go and look at the replay and let's talk then and uh, no if we had our time again we'd have done exactly the same thing the horse jockey and trainer so Rob had him in the right slot from that draw and it didn't happen for him that's life it seems a widespread opinion that he should have been second and it would have been nice to see what would happen you know Richard was easing down the winner wasn't he from some way out I don't think any of us thought we would have won
0: did he did he surprise you at all, or did you think he was going to run huge?
3: I think I said in the run-up I could see him being in the first four. It wasn't a surprise, no. I think, could I see him improving that much from Sandown? Not sure I thought that, no. So he's exceeded expectation. Yeah, I think we can safely say that.
0: I, I guess what I'm saying is, are you thinking about the rest of the campaign in a different light now? Are you thinking about him... Maybe not quite as. I mean, I don't want to disparage the St. Ledger. I'm, I'm, I'm just su- suggesting that maybe there are more, there are more dimensions to his game, perhaps than just being a, a an extreme staying horse.
3: Yes, I, I think that's right. I think, you know, in an ideal world, if you gave me a choice about what what happened next, I'd be keen to go to the Curra in uh, two and a half weeks' time. Uh, I'd be keen to go to, if that went well, I'd be keen to come back for the King George, which closes this morning, and uh, then work out what we did next.
0: Big Royal Ascot ahead of you, Um, particularly interested in Prosperous Voyage and Scope in the Coronation Stakes and the Gold Cup, respectively. Um, are, Are they both going to head to those races?
3: Yeah, that's the plan uh scope he'll work he'll work uh thursday morning and uh that should put him straight he's trained pretty well since newbury been happy with him and um prosperous voyage we had that aborted trip to to uh for the precinct gallery that was um down to the highways agency and their wisdom closing the m20 on friday night when a large chunk of Liverpool was trying to get to Paris for the Champions League final, and we kept missing ferries. And in the end, I rightly or wrongly decided that it was going to be too tough on her, and turned her around. Otherwise, to avoid an eighteen-hour trip, um, she worked on Saturday, and uh, she, she, she's, she's going to be ready for the coronation. By the look of it, yes,
0: it's a it's a pretty spicy race. How much do you think she's going to have to take a step forward from Newmarket?
3: Five pounds. Mm. What do you
0: think? Yeah, uh, you it, isn't it, six, it? Isn't it all contingent on how good you think Homeless Songs is, and whether In Spiral comes back the In Spiral we thought she was at the back end of last year? I mean, then they're they're sort of two slight unknowns, aren't they?
3: Homeless Songs looked like she really enjoyed Soft Ground. Um, obviously, that's only an onlooker's view, but uh, and, and, and we'll see whether that's right. But. Uh, yeah, and then spiral. Well, it's tough to go there without a, without a prep, isn't it? So, yeah, it's 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 it's, it's not going to be easy, that's for sure. And we, we, like I say, we've got to improve to get in the mix.
0: Rafe Beckett there with news on Westover. Interesting, you could go for King George after the Irish Derby. I like that bold shout from Beckett. Uh, we've come to expect nothing less, and looking forward to seeing how his horses fare next week at royal ascot now good news national racehorse week is back after the success of year one and with the country fully opened up now possibilities of slightly more to come in year two it's the brainchild of trainer richard phillips i spoke to him a little bit earlier i asked him how satisfied he felt that this was not just a one-off
6: well i'm really pleased that uh, last year was perceived to be uh, a fair success i think for the industry and everyone got together behind it and as we know in this industry not everyone gets behind everything so it was one thing I'm really pleased about that so many people got involved, trainers were fantastic, jockeys, owners, everyone within the industry was absolutely fantastic. and So I'm delighted it's happening again this year, and hopefully it will go from strength to strength.
0: Uh, and when is it happening?
6: Between the 10th and the 18th of September, basically. Uh, that week, uh, rather like last year, is a great week, I think, for the racing industry in as much as... The jump horses that come in from the field are getting fit for the season. The flat horses still look fantastic in their coats and have had a great season up till then. So it's a, it's a great opportunity for the public to come and visit horses in the yard, see them in their own environment and understand that racehorses have a great life and they do amazing things for people and people do amazing things for racehorses.
0: Well, it is Tuesday, so we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's, and one of Weatherby's key services is to provide those catalogues and and beautifully prepared pages that you see of pedigrees, and that's exactly what they've been doing this week for their and our colleagues at Goff's who are running their Land Rover sale. I've been speaking to Goff's director who'll be putting a number of the lots under the hammer this week, Nick Nugent, who first of all provided me with a bit of history to this National Hunt store sale.
7: Yeah, thank you, Nick. It's been a it's been a very good partnership we've had with Land Rover since uh, it was the mid nineties. I, I think I'm about the last surviving member of the team that was around when the first Land Rover sale was held. But uh, way back when um, the team in golf included people like Leo Powell, who's now editor of the Irish Field, and Philip Mauskew was the managing director. There was a concerted attempt twenty five or something years ago to. Uh, rebuild what had been a dwindling uh, national hunt uh, market share in Goffs, because Goffs, of course, always had the national hunt market. Because until the uh, mid 70s, Goffs was the only auction house, thoroughbred auction house in Ireland. So a lot of the kind of hitherto great horses, I don't know, the Arkles, the Golden Millers, the Lescargos, they'd all pass through Goffs. And then when Goffs uh, moved to Kildare in 1975, it kind of coincided with the meteoric rise of flat bloodstock and the need to pay off the price of the complex. I think it's fair to say Goss probably slightly dropped the ball at the time and uh, allowed other auction houses to compete for those national hunt horses. So there was a concerted effort. A partnership was created with Land Rover. Initially, Land Rover, as they still do, provided a Land Rover vehicle. It's been different types now. In recent years, it's been the new Defender To whoever would sell a horse that would go on to win the Land Rover bumper the following year at Punchestown. At Fairy House, actually, the race took place initially, but for the majority of the times, it's now run more recently in in Punchestown. So it's become a very strong sale. It's evolved from a one-day sale, and it's now a three-day sale with over 700 horses catalogued. So it's a very important part of our our annual offering.
0: I mean, your hook is the fact that you've got Altior's brother um and and i don't don't suppose he he's going to go um uh, you know unnoticed by anybody who walks on that sales ground how's he going down so far
7: yeah i think he's going very well i mean the interesting thing is we divide the sale up into we have five auctioneers who work in golf so and so we tend to divide the sale up and look at the horses that we are individually allocated to sell and altior uh is actually not in my group of horses to sell so as a result i haven't gone down and wasted you know i haven't been the ultimate tire to pull him out you know uh, he's lot 93 which means he'll sell uh give or take around lunchtime today and henry Beebe is the auctioneer for that horse he will listen he's a smashing horse we produced a video on him the other day altior funny enough i did auction i was the auctioneer for altior he was a beautiful horse at the time though high chaparral his sire made him perhaps slightly a bit of a question mark for some people but I, I mean i've looked at my notes he was a beautiful horse at the time And didn't make a great deal of money. I think he made about 50000 odd So, uh, obviously, this horse has got a a, a well-acknowledged, significant foal price. And uh, he made a good three-figure price as a foal. And, obviously, he's owned by a high-profile vendor. He's owned by Kevin Doyle, a former international uh, footballer for Ireland, played for Wolves in England and other top-class football clubs. So, you know... It's a big, he's obviously a bit of a flagship. But the thing is, he's out of the range, I would imagine, of of a great deal of many people. You know, we want people to come to the Land Rover and buy a nice horse for 30000 and 40000 and 50000 as well, as, you know, hit the heights. The air gets a bit thinner when you get into the top price horses, wherever you are in the world.
0: Uh, let's talk about the London sale, the Goffs London sale. That takes place next week on the eve of, of Royal Ascot. And we spoke yesterday on the podcast to Andrew Balding. He was keeping his cards close to his chest, but he said... Derby runner-up, Hu Yemal, they're, they're pondering all the options and he does have an entry in the Goff's London sale. He would, be, he would be quite a draw, wouldn't he?
7: Yeah, no, I mean, he'd be the sort of horse that every sale would like to have as a horse in training. But we have precedent for this. You know, a few years ago, we sold jet setting in the sale after she had won the uh, Irish 1000 Guineas. So, she held her position there she was obviously a horse that a lot of people wanted to buy Puyamal, when he was entered for the sale we were very happy to have him we thought he was a high class international racing prospect and he's now a higher class international racing prospect because obviously finishing second in the derby gives him that kind of um you know he has the wow factor and i'd be very hopeful that uh well i'd be very hopeful that he'll turn up because certainly there's going to be a lot of people trying to buy a horse like him in the week that's coming but you know, when you've only got six or seven days to hold on, as they call it, if people want to buy this horse, you really there is no better place for a vendor to offer a horse than in a public auction. And a public auction held in this sort of beside Kensington Palace, you know, on the edge of hyper, it's a magnificent environment in which to sell a horse who will appeal to people not only in the United Kingdom and at home or in Ireland but also you know this horse would have a high racing appeal for, for for Australian market and potentially any anyway, every international market would love a horse like this he's worth an awful lot of money um, and next Monday is a perfect it could, you couldn't have set up a better time to try and offer a horse with the profile he has you'll have had a few days to come out of the derby and this one will be very hopefully. He'll turn up there. He's obviously the star attraction in the in the sale. I mean, by no means you could you argue anything comes close. It's the it's the big one. We thought we had a couple of other horses that were going to be the stars, but he's jumped over them. You know, with the horse who was fourth in the one thousand guineas, a filly of Henry de Bromhead's. She's another very attractive um, filly to have in the sale. Star girls are Mal. We've a sister to Modern Games who finished third after his winning the uh, french guineas we're very pleased we added another horse today who won a a very good invincible spirit horse who won a two-year-old race in Listowel yesterday it's a small catalogue will be less than 30 horses but we're very excited about it
0: and is it is it struck right back to sort of pre-covid festivities at at, at kensington palace you know big crowd uh loss of hospitality
7: it's it's an invitation event nick but it's a slight invitation event is a difference i mean Basically, we have some partners in sales. So this year we have Private 3, which is a new uh, title partner. They're a fintech company who hopefully will bring people who are going to get introduced to racing. We have other sponsors and partners like Ampito. These are people who deal with the very audience that horse racing in Ireland and the UK needs to attract as future racehorse owners. So, you know, we do feel there's an element of sort of... Um, benefit to the industry at large on a generic level, as well as specifically for the Goffs branding. Um, It is an invitation event. So we invite everyone who's given us, you know, people who've done significant business with us in the past will get invited. People we'd like to do business with us in the future get invited. And then needless to say, in line with any event, there's always people who will try and jump on the back. So, you know, people who are interested in buying a horse and wish to, you know, get approved to, Buy a horse in advance by clearing the required amount of credit can be added to the list. But otherwise, it is very much a ticketed only event because I think, you know, we can identify most of the major players in the bloodstock industry and we are trying to sell horses at a certain level. That is what you might call appropriate for an Eve of Royal Ascot event.
0: Right. That was Nick Nugent. Thanks to Goffs and to Weatherby's. uh Jane Mangan is with me now. Uh, Jane, you are at Goffs today buying more horses, even more horses.
1: I'm actually hiding in a corner of uh, the complex to try to get a a quiet area to record this and yeah it's it's good I wasn't at uh, Doncaster I wasn't at Park Paddocks for the store sale and this is my first store sale of the year and uh, it's good to be back there's 715 lots a lot of horses over the next three days so a lot of horses to be seen and you can get good ones here they can be reasonably priced as well I was only looking at the success of this sale in the past 12 months. Uh, Marie's Rock, the great woman for Nicky Henderson, was bought for 35 grand. Brandy Love, the ever exciting novice hurdler, she was bought for 15 grand here. And then, of course, Sir Gerhard, 72 grand was the price for him as a three year old. And Jinto was bought for 60,000 euro. Uh, sadly, he w- isn't with us any longer, but he was certainly very talented. So, Goss Land Rover sale is about to kick off in around an hour's time.
0: We heard Nick there talking about Huyamal next week. We sort of end the podcast where we began it. Are you going to bid for him?
1: Um, am I going to bid for Who You're Mal? Uh Probably not where my priorities lie right now. <laughs> he, he's uh, interesting that he was in the sale before he even placed in the Derby, so I'm sure he'll attract plenty of attention at London this week.
0: Jane Mangan, bestriding the bloodstock world, the international bloodstock world, like a colossus. And on that point, Jane... The Racing Post study about horses leaving these shores to head abroad. I thought the most, the most interesting part of that, looking at the bar charts, was w- where the biggest upswing of exports has come. And it's all Middle Eastern. It's all Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, UAE. I mean, yes, there are more horses going to Australia. Yes, there are a few more horses going to Hong Kong, about the same going to the US. But the biggest upswing is their exports to the Middle East. And that's to service an entire industry it's not just horses being cherry-picked that's to service burgeoning industries
1: yes we have the perfect um environment here to rear horses and produce horses but we don't maybe have the money to keep them here It's, it's a it's a rude awakening but it's something that we know is happening for quite a while
0: jane thanks so much have you got a tip for me for this afternoon
1: I do, and I'm going to Salisbury. The 145, the two-year-old maiden, Friday already on a Tuesday. Liam Canair into Clive Cox was second on debut at Nottingham, and I hope uh, this horse can go one better today. Friday already at 145.
0: It was Tuesday on a Friday last week, and it's Friday already on a Tuesday this week. Um, love it, Jane. Thanks so much. Uh, we will speak again very soon. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for your support. Over 500 editions of the nick luck daily podcast do leave us a a review and a rating if you've got time on one of your podcast providers if you haven't do just pass on the message to your friend that we're with you each and every day Uh, take care we'll see you again tomorrow bye bye. you've been listening to nick luck daily brought to you in association with fitzdares